Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's interesting that picture you saw. Actually, that was the entire Jones family. Um, how that happened was uh, uh, my wife was pregnant. And so she was going to Korea to do her shopping before they said she couldn't fly anymore. So she left in the morning and said, hey, I'll see you in a couple of days. I said, bye, babe. And so I just went to work, got my F-15, and there I was six miles high flying, getting some gas. And I hit her car over the radio. And they go, uh, yeah, knife three. I go, Roger. They go, be advised, someone on this airplane loves you. I'm like, oh, you, they did not say that over the radio. Boop, boop, boop. Everyone heard it. So for like, you know, fighter pilots are a pretty sensitive group. So I think it was for like eight or nine months, people come up, Captain Jones, I love you. I'm like, oh, man. So here I am, six miles high, and my wife's still checking up on me. So I'm kind of used to that. Uh, but I just wanted to say we are really, really blessed to be here with you. And we just want to say thank you. And we're honored that you as a congregation have taken this Sunday, this Memorial Day, to set it aside to honor those who wear the uniform. Uh, one of the great privileges that both myself, Martha, and Barbara, as full-time missionaries with Crew Military have, is the opportunity to bless those who wear the uniform 365 days a year. And we're honored to be able to share this special service which eats in every one of you. Now, I know some of you probably have a question. How is an Air Force aviator, I mean, I have my Air Force tie, my little Air Force airplane, how am I going to represent a day when we honor all of the services. Well, I just want to let you know, to put your mind at ease, that before I wore Air Force Blue, my dad was in the Army. And so I think we have a slide of the entire Jones family. My dad was in the Army 25 years as a Ranger. Uh, so, you know, I have my Army credentials. And actually, I didn't get my Air Force wings first. The first wings I got were jump wings. Fort Benning, 101st, 82nd Airborne. For some strange reason, I jumped out of an aircraft five times, but I am over that. Now I just stay in the airplane. So I have my Army credentials. Now, also, Martha and I, we did uh, 22 years flying in the Air Force. So not only was I an Air Force aviator, but the harder job was I, I was an Air Force spouse. Flying is easy. Being married to someone in the military, that is work. So I was an Air Force spouse as well. So I got the Air Force thing covered. Now, our oldest son decided he wanted to go into the military. And I said, hey, son, Air Force. He goes, Dad, flying is for losers. So he decided he joined the Navy. So he went to the Naval Academy. So for four years, we were part of the fleet, a Navy family. And then when our son graduated from the Naval Academy, our oldest, he decided he was going to become a Marine infantry officer. So Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, we have that covered. And just to demonstrate that, you all are going to help me. In the Navy, what we say when things are going okay, you say, steady on shipmate. So turn to the person next to you and say, steady on shipmate. In the, in the Army, we say, hua. So turn to your neighbor and say, hua. In the Marine Corps, hurrah. Turn to your neighbor, hurrah. And in the Air Force, we just turn to our neighbor and we say, Hey, that's pretty cool. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah, the Air Force, we're the newer service, and we're just now getting started in that. You know, Memorial Day is more than just about uh, cookouts, weenie roasts, starting the summer at the beach, but the time where we as a nation pause and remember those that have worn the uniform, those that are wearing the uniform, that have served this nation so we could have the privilege to come like we did today at New Branch, lift up our hands and say, Jesus is Lord. So it's a wonderful time for us to just pause, reflect upon those that have served. Uh, one of the uh, things that I want us to do today is to look at an individual in the Bible that we might miss, but who the Apostle Paul in the second chapter of Philippians calls our attention to look at this individual, this hero of the faith, that Paul says, I want you to look at this individual who is living an honorable life, to remember him, honor him, emulate him, just as we do those who wear the uniform. And I believe if we look at this life of this individual in the Bible, we'll be able to understand maybe some characteristics that God would like to see in our lives as we live out an honorable life before him. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 25. You can follow along in your Bible, or I think they're going to put some on the screen. And this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. In verse number 25, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, a fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. He said, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and he brings to their note, their attention, an individual named Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is not really well known in the Bible. He is, didn't write any of the books of the Bible. He's only mentioned in Scripture in this one small portion in the book of Philippians. He's not an individual of note. He wasn't a pastor, a teacher, evangelist. No great accomplishments in his life, easily overlooked. But Paul says, I want you to stop, I want you to look at his life, because in that I see an honorable life, one that the Lord likes to notice. And I think that's very, very important, because as we look at the life of Epaphroditus, we can see what the Lord would have us, characteristics, virtues, elements in his life that the Lord wants in ours. You know, when we start in the military, they try to get us from thinking and being like civilians to start acting and being like soldiers or airmen or marines or, or seamen. We're supposed to make a transition. My transition wasn't quite as easy as a combat pilot. I remember after I was a combat pilot, we had our first big exercise over the Philippines where we have literally hundreds of airplanes fighting against each other. And the cardinal sin you could ever commit as a pilot was to lose sight of your leader. And so my flight lead said, okay, look, Jones. He says, look, there's going to be a lot of airplanes out there. I want you just to stick on me. Don't you lose me. Don't lose sight. He says, if you get lost, I'll send you home. You stay with me. Yes, sir. And for the whole briefing, he was like, 
Yes, sir. We're taxing out. And he's like, you stay with me. Stay with me. Yes, sir. So my first big mission, we get up there. And you know what? It is chaos. I can't figure out anything. For an hour and a half, I didn't see anything except the back end of his F-15. We were up and down and this way and that way. So for an hour and a half, it was like being in one of those industrial strength dryers. It was hot. It was confusing. I'm going up and down trying to do calculus. My head hurts. It was just an hour and a half of sheer chaos. And so we land, and of course, my flight lead wants to figure out how I did my first time as a combat qualified pilot. And he goes, okay, Jones, did you, did you shoot any missiles? No, sir. He says, how about the short-range missiles? Did you, did you lob a couple of those off? No, sir. He goes, did you pull the trigger? Shoot? No. no. He said, did you, did you lock up anybody on the radar? No, no sir, I did not. Did you see anyone on the radar? I, I said, no, 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 I didn't see anyone on the radar. He said, Mr. Jones, he says, we just spent tens of thousands of these taxpayers' hard-earned money, and we flew around over the Philippine Lagayan Gulf for an hour and a half. Can you please tell me what you did with that? And I said, uh, I didn't lose sight. And you know what my flight lead said? He says, you know what? I, I can work with that. And see, what he was letting me know is, is you can miss a lot of things. But if we keep sight of the one we're supposed to be following, good things can happen after that. And God is concerned not only about what we do, but who we are. And who we are will very much be determined by who we follow, who we keep sight of no matter what. And I see in the life of Epaphroditus, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, saying, I want you to keep sight of the characteristics of this. It's going to remind you of the military, but more so the characteristics of the Lord. And those characteristics and elements and virtues that he wants in your life and the Lord wants in my life. Here's the first thing I notice about Epaphroditus. Paul calls him my brother. Have you ever heard that term, band of brothers? One of the reasons I love Memorial Day is because they put the, the movies on. Uh, AMC, FX, all the war movies. Uh, Battle of the Bulge. I was watching Midway yesterday. My daughter goes, Dad, haven't you seen that movie? Don't you know how it ends? Yeah, but I just, I love these movies. Well, there was one series that uh, Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks did called Band of Brothers. And it tracked this one particular army uh, echo company from the beginning of D-Day to the very end of World War II, and they called themselves a band of brothers. And why they did that is they were together. They lived together, they worked together, they served together, they bled together, they died together. They were truly a band of brothers. And they're not the only ones. I was talking with, uh, with Barbara. So if I say 332nd Air Group to you, you're probably like, ah, that doesn't mean much. Well, there was a band of brothers. They're actually called the Tuskegee Airmen. They were the first African-American pilots that the United States had, and they were assigned in northern Africa, and their responsibility was to fly and escort bombers, and they had the enviable record that of all the bombers they escorted, the Tuskegee Airmen never lost a bomber to German fighters. They stuck with them like a band of brothers. I told Barbara that her dad, Woody, when he hit the beaches in Anzio and fought all of those weeks, do you know who was flying top cover for them? It was the Tuskegee Airmen. So there was a band of brothers in the air and with Woody on the beaches. 
And whether it's the Echo Company or the Tuskegee Airmen or those that fought in World War II or uh, Vietnam, in Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan, a band of brothers. And they're a band of brothers because they live an honorable life in a hostile environment. An honorable life in a hostile environment. It's easy when people aren't shooting at you. It's hard to stay a family when you find yourself against opposition. And isn't it interesting that when God talks about we who are the body of Christ, we're not compatriots and we're not buddies, we're not friends. God considers us brothers and sisters. We're a brand of brothers and sisters. We're a family because we live out our faith like those in uniform in a hostile world. My wife and I, Martha, we travel the world, and it's becoming increasingly obvious that the world, and even to a certain extent our culture, is becoming more and more hostile to the person of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. We are going to be living out our faith increasingly as brothers and sisters in a culture that doesn't want to hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be successful... We're going to have to be that band of brothers and band of sisters like Epaphroditus, like Paul, and like the Lord and the disciples that stick one to another. Paul would later write, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, contending as one man or woman for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Understand what makes a hero is that they're a hero even when they face opposition. And God is calling you and God is calling me to be his heroes in our faith, like Epaphroditus was for Paul. When they faced the opposition of a Roman empire that didn't want to change, yet they stayed true to the gospel, and God is asking you and he's asking me to be those individuals, those heroes that live out this life, an honorable life, even in a hostile world. Paul goes on to call Epaphroditus my fellow worker. And here Paul is highlighting Epaphroditus as living an honorable life in true fellowship. You know, I was talking to your pastor, you guys are going to have a picnic in a week. That's going to be pretty cool. Because that's what we, we're supposed to be doing if we're in fellowship. We live together, we work together, we serve together, we worship together. That's what true fellowship is. It's not just coming on Sunday for an hour or so and go, hey, check the square. No, a fellowship is like we're in this together. And that is an honorable life when we live it out together. You see, being together is not just about proximity. It's about being together and sharing life. You know, one of the reasons I, I like this particular time of year is you can always recognize veterans. We wear our hats, you know, with our unit or Air Force or Marine Corps or our wings or where we served. Uh, you, we wear the hats mostly because we're going bald in the back. But that's a whole other sermon. But we, we wear our hats and it's easy. And, you know, you can say something and encourage a veteran. And if you're like, well, I don't know what to say. How do I start a conversation? Walk up to anyone you see with a hat or a jacket or a T-shirt and say, hey, I, I see that you, you have some. Tell me about the person you remember most in basic training. And I guarantee you, their eyes will light up because, you see, the military understands about fellowship. See, in basic training, they take us all together, they plop us, and all of a sudden, we're living together, we're working together, we're sacrificing together. We're ble I mean, we become literally a true fellowship. 
You know, I, I remember the, a fellowship. Back in our basic cadet days, when we first came in the Air Force, they would line us up tall to short. And so the guy who was at the front of our line all the time, his name was Woody. And uh, every day we'd get out there, and the guy in front would be responsible to call the roll. You know, he'd do an about-face look. See, we're all here doing about-face. Oh, basic cadets, president accounted for, sir. And this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And one day Woody got up, turned around, looked at us, turns back around, and he goes, sir, one basic cadet missing, sir. And they're like, what? I mean, it's an Air Force base. We're surrounded by barbed wire dogs. None of us are going anywhere. So the sergeant runs over there, and he's like, Wood, report. He goes, sir, one basic cadet absent, sir. And I just distinctly remember, because we're all lined up in a row, and I just remember seeing the sergeant's head. It looks to the side. He looks at Woody. He stands up. And it's the only time I heard the guy not yell. He just looked up at Woody. He goes, Mr. Wood? Yes, sir. He said, Mr. Wood, did you count yourself? Silence. <laughs> Only thing we heard was the gears spinning Woody's head. <laughs> I don't know how long it lasted. Finally, Woody like snaps to attention. He goes, sir, all president accounted for, sir. And I died laughing. I was just crying. I was just laughing. Then they come jump on me. They go, Mr. Jones, are you laughing at your classmate? I go, yes. He forgot to count himself. And I, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. That's fellowship. Now, I thought it was funny until they made me do 100 push-ups. Then I wasn't laughing. It wasn't funny anymore. Everything was serious again. But that happened 37 years ago. And I remember Woody screaming that out like it was yesterday. See, that's what true fellowship is about. That's what Paul and Epaphroditus shared. You see, between those who are involved in true fellowship, there is no distance, there is no envy, there is no competition. Uh, they, they, they are together in it, and that's what God is trying to get for you and for me. Paul would lay the right in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, you know what? Everybody else has abandoned me, but a few those that stayed and understood what fellowship about, and that is sticking with one another through thick and thin and sharing all that God has for us. And you know what? That's what heroes are made of. That's what God is calling New Branch to be here at Windsor, a fellowship that, that sticks together no matter what. I hope you guys stick with Barb. You know, she's raising her support to be a missionary full time. You guys stick with her in fellowship. You be the congregation that comes around your missionary and loves her and supports her and helps raise finances for her. You be that fellowship that comes around her so there's no distance. There's just cooperation and getting the Lord's work done. There's another aspect that God would have us if we're going to be the men and women he's called us to be and live out this honorable life. And that was Paul, when he's describing Epaphroditus, he says he was a fellow soldier. And this, no doubt, refers to an honorable life in courage. You know, there's a quote by a famous general. He said, war is the providence of danger. Therefore, the first virtue of the warrior must be courage. If we're going to live an honorable life, we're going to have to be fellow soldiers. We're going to have to be courage. Do you remember uh, what the Lord told Joshua before they crossed over into Jordan? He says, be strong and courageous. Courage is the queen of virtues that God has called us to. 
I would say the king of virtues would be love. Because Jesus says they will know you by your love one to another. That's that fellowship part. But right behind that, he's called us to be courageous. And, you know, uh, between the service of my other Colonel Jones and my service and my son, Philip, who's a lieutenant of the Marine Corps, you know, there are a lot of examples I could give you of, of courage. But I thought one that you, you, you would probably resonate more. Just last week, we went to the graduation of our second son. I call him my avowed civilian. He graduated from Virginia Tech in geophysics. It's the dirt people, dirt and water. So if it's dirt, that's him. So my avowed civilian. But when I was looking at this sermon, thinking about courage, I distinctly remember Joshua is like my athlete. And I remember we, we go to Hampton Christian across the water, and some, a mother called me and said, uh, Mr. Jones? I said, yes. She goes, uh, is your son Joshua? And I'm thinking, well, he did something wrong. I said, yes, yes, he's my son. She goes, he, he's at the, at the sports camp this week at Hampton Christian. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, I just wanted to call and say thanks. I said, I, I, why? She goes, my son went to the baseball camp. And he's kind of small. And he loves baseball, but he doesn't play very well. And he was trying to you know, throw the ball. And he wasn't doing a very good job. And some of the kids were making fun of him. And she says, and then your son stood up and said, hey, he's doing his best, and he's my friend. And if any of you have a problem with that, you have a problem with me. Now, do we have any problems? No, 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 Josh, everything's cool. He says, okay, let's play baseball. She said, my son said that he was the only person that stood up for him, and I just called to say thanks because my son's looking forward to going back to camp tomorrow. And I'm like, that's my boy. <laughs> A sixth grader standing up for a third grader who can't throw a baseball. That is a portrait in courage. Courage doesn't have to be a uniform with the medals and the wings. Courage is standing up for what's right, what ought to be. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus did. For what ought to be in Paul's life. Paul, you shouldn't be by yourself. I know you're in chains. I know you're standing for the gospel. But I'll stick with you, Paul, even if it costs me my health. That's a profile in courage. A fellow soldier, I know why Paul said that. Not because he wore a uniform, because Paul saw the courage of Christ in his heart. And there's one other thing. Paul says that he was a messenger. And I think that says something about an honorable life in priority. You know, I, I was just, when you drive down to Windsor, you know, you pass by your Veterans Memorial, or the Albert G. E. Horton Veterans Memorial Cemetery. Row upon row of headstones, uh, and they just a name and perhaps a date and a small inscription. And you, you know what that says to me? That that's an honorable life, with a, 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 a honorable life of priority. All of those headstones. You know what they say to you and to me? They should say that here is an individual who lived and died for something greater than themselves. People that were willing to give their lives, men and women, because there was something more dear and precious of a higher priority than even their life. Men and women that would take on a uniform and lay down their lives so that we could come together on a Sunday in Windsor, Virginia, lift up our hands and go, Jesus Christ is Lord. They thought that was of a higher priority than even their life. And honor them? Yes, we should. This day, of course, but each and every day, that's an honorable life because of the priority. 
And, and that's what Paul said about Epaphroditus. He said, he is your messenger to me. And it, not just because Epaphroditus brought Paul his cloak or his scrolls, but he brought a message. Do you remember what the Bible says? Paul says that you are God's living epistle. You are his letter written, not with ink, but with the Spirit. And that's what Paul saw in Epaphroditus. He says, you have written to me your love by sending Epaphroditus. So what they're saying is, Paul, we can't be there, but we love you. We want God to watch over you. So we're sending Epaphroditus. And here's the message. Here's the priority. Paul, you're important to God. You matter to God until you matter to us. And we're sending Epaphroditus, our best, who's going to be with you. That's a life lived in priority. It's what Jesus calls you to and he calls me to in Matthew 6.33 where he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. Jesus, in his first sermon, says the most important thing is you being a hero, a citizen soldier in the kingdom of God, because it's bigger than you. Seek that kingdom first, and the rest will be added. A, a nice congregation, maybe a bigger building. Maybe we'll have a whole orchestra instead of just a few people playing. No, he said, first and foremost, you be a good soldier and a good citizen. The kingdom is the most important thing. Let that be an honorable life. Let that be your message. And that's why I dig what Barbara's doing as a missionary. She says the most important thing is to let the troops know each and every day that God loves them and it's worth my life, and it's worth raising support, and it's worth traveling all that way to our headquarters in Newport News. That's the message God wants to send. It's interesting, isn't it? Epaphroditus, he lived, what, maybe 40, 50, 60 years, no statues, no great accomplishments, but when God writes this hero of the faith, he says he was a brother, he says that he was a fellow worker, he was a soldier, and he was a messenger of the gospel. That's, that's pretty good. I don't know. I wonder what God would write. What four words would the Lord use if he would be describing my life or your life? What would he say? Teachable? Faithful? Servant? Worshiper? You know, I think God is probably a little bit more generous with the terms that he uses to describe our lives than we are. You know, when, when I look at the body of Christ, I think two terms that God uses to describe you and me more often than not, child and beloved. If you want to sum up, what do you do in crew military? What do you and Martha do as the international directors? We travel the world and we find people that are serving in uniform and we tell them, your identity is Christ. You're a child of God and you're beloved. That's it? That's it. You're God's child and he loves you. And we're his messengers to do that. That's, what, that's, that's all Epaphroditus did. Paul, you're God's child and we love you. And I'm here for you. And you know, some people find that hard to believe. You're God's child and he loves you. 
but I'm here to encourage all of you. I, I don't know where you are in living an honorable life. I don't know where you are in your Christian walk. I'm not sure if you're saying, hey, I, I kind of fumbled it. I, I, I'm AWOL from my Christian fellowship. I'm not sure if you're missing an action when it comes to being courageous for your faith. I'm not sure where you're at, but what I am here to tell you that you are beloved of God and you are his child. The psalmist declares you are God's workmanship. He says when he talks about each and every one of us, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because God's works are righteous, we know that quite well. He reminds us that you are a workmanship in Christ. You are his crowning masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has apportioned and set out for you to do. Christ reminds us that he loves us with an everlasting love. Why? Because you're his child and because he loves you. And God gives us the opportunity, you and me, as his heroes, to tell those we meet each and every day, not just in uniform, but all of those, that God loves you. You matter. You count to God. And he's called us to be those heroes, to live out that honorable life, that all that we meet, they hear that message. They matter and they count to God. That's part and parcel of living out an honorable life before God. Now, it, it, it's not enough for me to come and just say, hey, I want you to live out an honorable life. That's a cop-out. That's not good. Just to say, be honorable for Christ. Okay, everyone got it? Go. Now, before we do that, that, that's not fair to you. What I want to do is before we go, before we walk out there, before we are the living expression of the body of Christ, I want to help you with some, some, some easy readily available things that you can do to affirm your identity in Christ, just like Epaphroditus did, in some decisions that you can make today and each day to help you live out this honorable life that God has called us to. The first decision I want you can make is that I will do what's right even when the odds are against me. That's what heroes of the faith are made of. That's what embodies an honorable life. I'll do what's right even when the odds are against me. Have you ever been there where to do the right thing, you know it's going to cost you? You know, not too long ago, right across the river, over at the Newport News shipbuilding, uh, they dedicated a new ship, uh, a Navy destroyer, DDG-109, the USS Jason Dunham. Jason Dunham was a Lance Corporal in the United States Marine Corps. And during the hottest time in Iraq, he and his platoon, uh, actually it was a squad, they were going through and an insurgent threw a grenade right in the midst of the, uh, the squad. And, and you know what Lance Corporal Dunham did? Took off his Kevlar helmet and jumped on the helmet and the grenade. And everybody in his squad was saved, except Lance Corporal Dunham. And three years later, they awarded him the Congressional Medal of Honor, above and beyond the call of duty. He did the right thing even though it cost him his life. And he made that decision. You know, that's a decision that sometimes we're going to have to make as Christians. It's going to cost us sometimes to stand up for Christ. We ought to do what's right, even if it costs us. You might want to write beside that, no retreat. God doesn't want us to retreat back from the things that are right, but he wants us to, to press in to those things. 
we do not retreat back, but we press forward to the things of God. There needs to be in your soul and my soul formed by the Spirit of Christ that, and I know it's not a word, I, I sh- it, there ought to be an oughtness. Theological term is there needs to be an ethical center. No, no, no. There needs to be an oughtness. God needs to birth by the power of his spirit something in us that says that's right and that's wrong. That ought to be and that ought not to be. You pick it on a third grader, that ought not to be. That's what my son said. That, no, no, no. Yeah, he can't play baseball, but it ought not to happen that you guys make fun of him. So you want to make fun of him? Make fun of me. I'm a lot bigger. There needs to be something that wells up in our soul that we make the decision that I I will stand and do what's right, even if the odds are against me. It's what God is calling us to. It's what Jesus evidenced in his life. When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Not my will, Father, but your will be done. What ought to be is men and women not separated by the love of Christ. And so, Father, if it takes me going to the cross, if that's what ought to be, I'm in. He didn't have to. Christ made that decision. Even when the odds were against him. All of hell and the demons. And yet Christ did that. He did that for you and he did that for me. And we we need to make that decision. He's not asking us to go to the cross, but he is asking us to stand and make the decision of what ought to be in our lives and in our family and with our children and at work and in our fellowship and for our pastors and for what ought to be. And make that decision. There's another decision I see that Epaphroditus did. I will not give up even when none stand with me. I call this the missionary decision. Because in our Christian walk, just like for Epaphroditus, just like for Paul, but especially for Christ, sometimes we're going to have to persevere. Not all the battles go quick. Some do. Moses crossing the Red Sea. Joshua taking Jericho, Gideon beating up on the Midianites. Some battles are quick, but you know, some battles last a long time. And and when the battles last a long time, we're going to have to not give up, even when none stand with us. You you might want to write this word down beside that, and that is no reserve. God loves it. It is part of an honorable life. It is the makeup of a hero. Heroes don't hold back. They don't keep any in reserve. It's no reserve. It's everything. We're all in. I was sharing with with Barbara and with your pastor that in a couple of weeks, um, my wife is going to Ukraine. Uh, There's a whole country where they went from all being civilians to now they're all in the military. Right now in the nation of Ukraine, You are either in the military, you're at the front line, one of your loved ones is on the front line, you're a military family, so a country that was at peace, now everybody's in the military. And so we're trying to figure out as military ministry, crew military, how do we show the love that you're a child of God and that God loves you? How do we do that? And I said, well, you know, Dr. Colonel, Pastor, Reverend Daryl Jones could go. I'm like, pfft. They got enough people. They got pastors and doctors coming out of their ears. You know what they don't have? They don't have any women to minister to those that have lost loved ones, husbands and sons and nephews and uncles. They don't have someone that the ladies can cry over. They don't have someone that understands that. So I said, how's in Colonel Jones, my wife? 
So what we're going to do in two weeks is I'm not holding anything back. I'm sending my very, very best. And she's going to minister to those ladies. Why? Because they're beloved. And they matter to God. So we're not holding anything back. They're beloved of God. That's what we do. That's how God rolls. So that's how we roll. And God loves when we do that. No reserve. Last thing I'll share is God loves it when we stand in the gap for those that are around us. And you can write this one word, no regret. What would our lives look like if we lived a life of no regret? I was trying to think about that. What would our lives look like if we lived a life of no regret? You know, I'm reminded in Luke 15. Do you remember the parables that Jesus told his disciples? He talked about a lost coin. He talked about a lost sheep. And he talked about, what, a lost son. The parables of Luke 15. Three valuable things that were lost. And what he was trying to get his disciples to see is there are some things that are worth going after with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No reserve, no holding back, but to live a life of no regret, and that is capturing that which is lost and bringing it back. What if we lived a life like that? No regrets to what God has called us to do. You know, when I think about that, someone had asked me, you know, when did Martha and I retire? And I said, well, we retired on the same day. And it's interesting because when we put in our retirement papers, we, you know, there's a couple colonels retiring, so we got to go see the general. So we go over to see the general, and so there's Colonel Jones, and there's Lieutenant Colonel Jones, and he's like, oh, I see you guys are putting in your retirement papers. And we're like, well, yeah, we believe God's called us to serve the military full-time, pastors and as missionaries. And he looks at me and he goes, well, I think you're going to be great at it, Daryl. Martha, can you stay? <laughs> and I'm like, hello? I am like shield of invisibility. He's like, Daryl, you're going to be a great pastor. Martha, hey, I want to make you a colonel, full colonel. I got big plans. for. And I'm like, he was done with Colonel Jones. He wanted Colonel Jones. So when people say, well, why are you a colonel and why is she just a lieutenant colonel? I say, well, she got out. No regrets for what God has called us to do. And I know Barb is living out the same thing. Barb is, is a magnificent human resources person. She has the touch with people. So, so why is she raising her supporters? She's like, hey, I got one life. I got one shot at this. You know, and, and people say, well, how did this happen for you? How did God take a pilot and make him a pastor to a missionary? And, and I remember we were in Korea in this exercise. And it was late at night, and I was the guy in charge of, you know, scramble. Scramble the airplanes, scramble the airplanes. And all during this, they would launch these simulated attacks. And I, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm wearing the chemical gear, you know, the mask, where you sound like Darth Vader. I'm wearing this chemical mask, I got a helmet, I'm under my desk, and the sirens are going off. And I look across, and underneath the other desk, there is a general with a star, and there's a colonel with an eagle, and I was a lieutenant colonel at the time. So here it is, 2 o'clock in the morning, Three grown men playing war. We got the gas mask on. We sound like Darth Vader, and we're hiding under a desk. And I looked at that, and I said, you know, if I play my cards right in six or seven years, I could be that guy. And I said, wait. 
got one shot at this. God's given me one life on this earth. And I could do that. But I think there's something more important. I don't want, to, I don't want at the end of my life to say, oh, woulda, shoulda, coulda, God, if I could have served you. I don't want to live a life of regret. I want to live a life that demonstrates, God, you and you alone are the foremost priority in my life. You know, I'm going to close, but I want to share with you something that a famous Roman general said about living an honorable life. He was describing uh, the percentages of people that go into a battle. And this is how the Roman general Heraclitus described it. He said, of every 100 warriors that enter a battle, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are nothing but targets. Nine are real fighters. We are fortunate to have them. They make the battle. Ah, but the one, one of them is a hero, one is a true warrior, and he will bring the others home. I want to be one of those for Christ. I want to be the one that brings the others home. And there's a reason you're here in Windsor, New Branch, is there are those around you that God is calling you to live out an honorable life and to be his. No retreat, no reserve, no regret, for he's called you as his citizen soldiers to bring them home to Christ. And I pray with all of my heart, soul, mind, and being that you live out that honorable life that he's called us. We honor our veterans. We honor those that have given their lives as well we should. We do that because we see in them the heroic, the honorable that God wants in each and every one of us and gave his son Christ that we might have. And my prayer, Barbara's and Daryl's and Martha's and mine and Pastor John and all your leadership at New Branch is that the people here in Windsor see your honorable life and they give glory to our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you, New Branch. Thank you. Amen. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.